Welcome back to Brain Biohacking with your host, Kayla Barnes. We dive into all things optimal health, optimal brain health, nutrition, peak performance, cognitive excellence, biohacking, longevity, and so much more. Welcome back to Brain Biohacking. Today, I'm speaking with Elliot Rowe. Elliot Rowe is a leading expert in mindset optimization for high performers and is the world's number one mindset coach for poker players. His unique mindset coaching system leverages the power of hypnotherapy to eliminate fears and break through mental roadblocks, allowing you to operate in a state of peak performance every day. Stay tuned. I know you're going to love this episode. What was really interesting for me was it wasn't a conscious memory. So it wasn't something I was aware of before I went into the session. And I spoke to my parents after the session. They said, yeah, you know, that happened. Um, and I just felt completely different about flying. And because of that, I was like, I have to learn this. Before we get into the episode, I have some exciting news. I have brought on my first podcast sponsor, and this is taking quite some time because I want to make sure that I'm only offering you tools that are the most effective and most worth your time. I've partnered with a brand that I've loved for a long time called Inside Tracker. I'm a big fan of testing your blood biomarkers to understand the current state of your health to then biohack your way to better health. Inside Tracker is an at-home or in-lab blood test that will not only show you your biomarkers based on an optimal range for you, but will also give you an action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. For a limited time only, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash Kayla Barnes. Again, that's insidetracker.com forward slash Kayla Barnes. Thank you for listening and stay tuned. I know you're going to love this episode. Elliot, it is such a pleasure to have you here with me today. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. So we're going to be talking a lot about mindset. Um, You work with a lot of high performers on kind of, you know, adjusting their mindset, helping them get rid of some limiting beliefs. Is that right? Yeah. So I'm a mindset and performance coach. Uh, Typically, my market is I'm working with people who are pretty high up in their industry, usually sort of top 10 in the industry, and they're looking to get to number one and they know there's something holding them back. And it's my work to help them understand what's holding them back and help them work through that. I love it. And I know that a lot of people listening today are going to really appreciate that, as do I. Um, So tell us about what you do exactly. Like, what's the process, the steps? What do people find you for? Um, So... My background is hypnotherapy. So I'm a hypnotherapist and mindset and performance coach. Um, People are, they're coming to me as a state of work through those issues where they know there's something in the background. They can't quite put their finger on it and they're usually already very successful. So I'm not having people come to me saying, you know, I'm feeling I'm performing on 20%. Can you get me to 50%? My client base is, I know I'm performing at 95%, but performing at 97% is worth so much to me because those few percentage points when you're at the very top end of an industry is the difference between being number one in the world and number 10 and all the the money is with number one in most things, Um, certainly the, the top very small percentage. So what we do with the hypnotherapy 
is I'll go through sort of a, an intake process. I'll get an idea of what the person's history looks like, if there's trauma in their past, where they're seeing repeating patterns. And then we'll dig into that um, within a hypnotherapy session. And that will be a case of trying to dig into the physical response that's coming up. So um, if it's an anxiety response, um, what does that feel like in your body? And it'll be like, oh, it's a sickness in my stomach, pressure in my chest. I feel like there's an invisible force field holding me back from success. And as they dig into that sensation, we'll then connect that back to other times in their past that have felt the same way. And typically we'll see this um, sort of myriad of memories start showing up that create a narrative that explain the issue. So the anxiety will bring up memories of issues in their 20s in relationships. And then it goes even earlier and it's being bullied in high school. And then it goes even earlier and we're looking at something usually up to the age of about seven, um, usually around the parents or family or sibling or teacher, um, where the person isn't feeling loved or they're feeling worthless or they're feeling picked on or bullied. And then we look to reframe those memories. So we look at it from the outside. We look to reduce the emotion from the memories, sort of to some extent overwriting them. So uh, adding love to memories that love wasn't there. So the mind doesn't then have that memory there as a trigger in the same way. And then after the sessions, if we process those emotions, um, things are just easier than they were before. That's sort of a, a 37 synopsis of <laughs> second synopsis of the work I do. I love that. And it sounds so incredible. So what kind of led you to this industry? Was it, was it something personal or you just were always interested in, in hypnotherapy or maybe changing the trajectory of someone's life? Um, no, mine was, it was very, very random for me. Um, I was working in renewable energy investments. So completely different um, line of business. I had a fear of flying and I went to see a hypnotherapist. Um, I was skeptical and she managed to resolve it in a single session. And it was really, really interesting to me because I had a fear of flying where I would be uncomfortable for weeks leading up to a flight. So it would sort of dominate my life. Um, and it always felt like life and death. And I would take short flights, but I wouldn't do long haul flights. So, you know, I now live in America. That, that wouldn't be something that would have happened previously. And I went to this session and like I was describing, I got very relaxed going through this process. There's no magic in hypnotherapy. It's not like the stage shows. It's like guided meditation. Got into that guided meditation state. And um, she started asking me about different times I felt this fear. And initially it brought up times of turbulence on airplanes, which made sense. And then it brought up a memory of me being very young, being shown a picture of a small jet at my granddad's house and being told it crashed and killed one of his business partners. And that was the initial sensitizing event for me. So from a child, I'd viewed planes as something that do crash and could have killed a family member. And once I understood that that's where my fear came from, it was easy for me to let go of the fear. And what was really interesting for me was it wasn't a conscious memory. So it wasn't something I was aware of before I went into the session. And I spoke to my parents after the session. They said, yeah, you know, that happened. Um, and I just felt completely different about flying. And because of that, I was like, I have to learn this. So I found a comprehensive course on hypnotherapy and was going to, I was expecting to do it as a hobby. So, oh, you've got a fear of heights. Let me help you. That sort of thing. 
Um, started working with friends and family after I qualified. They recommended friends who recommended friends who recommended friends. Um, and it started turning into a business. So I then got into helping professional poker players, which was a very random niche market, um, but it went extraordinarily well. Um, they, they won almost everything. The guys I was working with, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars now. And because of that, I got links into a lot of other industries. So poker players play with professional athletes, poker players play with CEOs of companies, poker players play with Wall Street traders. And I started working with people in those sorts of industries as well and ended up with some UFC champions, some Olympic medalists, um, people in other major sports, a lot of people on Wall Street, a lot of CEOs of companies. And it was just this same trend over and over again of people are holding themselves back and if you can stop them doing the thing they know they shouldn't be doing, <laughs> um, their performance increases dramatically and it creates a dramatic edge over other people in the industry because almost everyone's holding themselves back somewhere. And I've just been fortunate enough to see these you know, constant real up levels in people's careers. And it's been a lot of fun. I love that statement. And I think it's so true that nearly everyone or everyone is holding them back themselves back in some way. And, and I think that everyone listening to that is going to be able to relate. So I'm interested in learning a little bit more about how it affects poker players. Cause I don't know the industry so well, but I can imagine that it's a very mental game. So what is mostly holding them back and, and they're actually improving like each game or just over time they're improving. Um, so in terms of what's holding them back, a lot of the time the players know exactly what they're supposed to do, um, but they're not able to do it under high pressure. So, you know, we're talking about, I mean, in the games that my clients are playing, there are literally millions of dollars on the line. So they're at a final table of a big poker tournament. If you come ninth on the final table, you might get, I don't know, $700,000 and first might be 8 million. So if it's looking at the final table of the main event. So there's a ton of pressure on them. And there's a there's a way that they believe they should be playing. It's, it's a very technical game. There's, there's luck involved, but there's an awful lot of skill involved. And they call it going on tilt, which means they start playing in a way that's more gambling than following the, the skill of the game. It's a bit like a golfer getting the yips when they're trying to part. And then they'll see in the way they play the hands, they're either they're chasing or they're gambling too much, or they freeze and they're not gambling when they're supposed to because they get scared. And the work I'm doing is trying to reduce that anxiety from them so that it's no different to a hand they would play if there was $200 on the line. So they're playing the way they're supposed to play rather than playing the way they're playing with the money on the line that's not allowing them to reach their full potential. So it's almost as such as they're they're forgetting their playbook while under intense pressure or letting that playbook slip a little bit, which I think is very applicable to all industries, all high performers. So very interesting. So what issues are you seeing most of your clients or these high performers dealing with? Is it financial? Is it finding love? Is it what are some of the top issues that people kind of come come to you for? Um. People tend to come to me first for finances. Um, so it's quite interesting. We have this sort of trajectory where um, someone will come, for me and come to me and it's for performance. So they're going to say, hey, I want to reach X in my industry. I want to become number one in the world, whatever it might be. Um, 
and we help them overcome the issues that are holding them back, typically that's just self-sabotage. So it's fear of failure, fear of success, something like something like that holding them back. And um, we work through that. They have increased success. And then it's interesting you're saying, you know, or is it love? Um, oftentimes, once that um, success has come and it hasn't solved all the problems, <laughs> so um, becoming number one in the world doesn't automatically make you a happy person. Um, but I think a lot of people have an expectation that when they get the the Olympic medal, when they get the world title, when they make X millions of dollars, things are just good now. And, you know, I, I don't believe that to be true. There is no happy ever after. Then we start working on the happiness. So it's a sort of this duality of the way that I'm doing the work is, you know, I help them reach the thing they think is going to make them happy. And then we start working on the happiness and relationships past that point once that's out of the way. So it's sort of, it's sort of both sides of it that we end up working on. Staying on that point, so what would you say is more difficult to resolve? Is it the financial feats or is it actually finding, you know, personal happiness? Um, well, I say when you say resolve, I see all of it as on a on a gauge or a gradient. Um, so when we say, let's say we're working with anxiety, if someone's anxiety is at a nine or a ten, we're looking to get them down to a two or a three. We're not looking to get them to a zero. And then as it gets very low, um, what we're doing is very slight changes. So the initial sessions, we might be able to take away the huge fight or flight. Um, but then what with the fine tuning is it takes a much longer because it is much more subtle, the work we need to do. And it's the same with happiness. If someone is really struggling, we can get them to, to not struggling quite easily. But then it's a case of refining and refining and refining. So the fine tuning is always the longer part than the, hey, I have this huge issue. And then you know, there's this sort of the subconscious knows where the huge issues are coming from. So like in my case, the fear of flying, it, my subconscious understood why I was scared of planes. That's why it was creating such a huge physical response to me every time that I got on a plane, because it thought planes mean you're going to die. Don't get on a plane. Um, it's when it's the more subtle stuff um, that, hey, life is pretty good. I know there's something there, but life is pretty good. I'm pretty happy. It's, it's the more subtle fine-tuning that takes longer, but it, it still happens, but it's, it's definitely a longer process when it's no longer an extreme emotion. It's actually, it's kind of similar to lifestyle changes. So if someone comes in and has, you know, is eating processed foods every day and not getting a lot of sleep and, you know, kind of the whole negative habits, it's easy to change the big ones, swap out healthy yeah. foods, go to bed earlier. But then when it comes to the really minute details of what's truly going on with their health, it takes a lot more to get you to that optimal stage. So I, I can completely understand that. So I heard that you talk, I heard you speak a little bit about financial limitations and I thought it was extremely interesting. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So what are people experiencing? You know, I think that you said people are experiencing that they hold them back from making more money or achieving their financial dreams. And, and can you tell us why that is and talk a little bit more about it? Yeah. So what I see typically around money is people have a wealth thermostat of some level that they're comfortable with. And that can vary from individual to individual. So some people are comfortable seeing $20,000 in the account. Some people it's a hundred thousand, some people it's a million, some people it's 10 million. 
but then they hit an emotional level where for some reason they don't allow themselves to get past that. And you usually see it as a trend. So in people's businesses, they'll be hitting the same number year after year, or they'll be bringing their bank account back down to a certain level. So let's say it's a hundred thousand. They notice that their bank account's always around a hundred thousand. And if things start going well, they find a way of spending it all or gambling it away or losing it in investments. But to the same extent, if things go poorly and suddenly they're at 50,000, they get back to 100,000 very quickly again. So their wealth thermostat is stuck. That's what they believe they deserve. That's the right level for them. And what we'll do is we'll explore that in sessions. And oftentimes it comes down to the way parents and families spoke about wealthy people through childhood and what wealth was. So if six figures was wealthy, seven figures is very uncomfortable for people. And then I'll see this as a process because, I mean, I've, I've literally worked with clients who've gone from hundreds of thousands in the bank to over 100 million in the bank. So I've seen this whole process of, you know, them, them looking at different, different amounts of money. And, and I've seen this process of you hit the next level and, and these emotions come up again. So they get to seven figures and there's these emotions come up again. And then it might be they get to eight figures or they get to five million or whatever it might be. And, and the same fears come up. Do I deserve this? Am I enough, et cetera. Um, and each time we're just working through it and, and, and the changes become more subtle. Like I was saying, it's each time it's more fine tuning than the, the sort of the crisis point. But all of us seem to have some kind of idea of what our value is. And when we explore that through hypnotherapy, um, it, often it is connected to the way money was discussed, what we saw as a child. Um, and that's where we create those limitations or, or potential. Very fascinating. Do you know kind of what's going on in, in the brain when you're doing this hypnotherapy? I, I would have to imagine it's linked to neuroplasticity and actually changing the way the neural networks work. Yeah, so I believe what's happening. <laughs> and uh, so I still think with all of this, um, I, I think the science is going to change quite dramatically over the next 20 years or so. So I see a lot of it as, um, yeah, art and science. And it was just an art and at some point is going to be a science. But at the moment we're at the <laughs> art and science stage. And I believe it is neuroplasticity. Um, we're creating new networks. Um, we're creating new ways for the mind to view itself and, and what's happening and what should happen. So the situation is we go into a memory um, that's triggering and it's framed in one way in the mind. And then we're going back to it and we're, we're effectively overlaying a new memory. So the mind can't distinguish between true visualization and reality. So it believes what you believe you're visualizing, uh, it believes is real. So what happens is we're effectively overwriting that memory. So like I was saying, a memory of pain and trauma, we're introducing to that in a very vivid state. It's hard to describe hypnotherapy, but if you think of it, an extraordinarily vivid daydream and we're we're bringing that into a the person into that same memory that same state and then we're overwriting it with a feeling of love so that traumatized child i'd like you to go back to her i'd like you to give her a hug i'd like you to tell her that she's loved that she's safe and now the memory has the, the mind has has two memories there effectively it has the original memory which was the way that you framed it as a child and then you have the secondary memory that we've introduced 
um, which is effectively a memory of love, which is overwriting the original memory. And now the mind doesn't quite know what box to put it in. So it was a, this is a trauma, fear, create a trigger. And now there's sort of an overwrite of it. And it's like, oh, or perhaps it's love and affection and I'm safe. And I've got nothing to be scared about. And then that, that sort of creates a change in the way that the mind's processing it. And it's just not triggering in the same way. So it's like a utilizing your plasticity to, um, to yeah, sort of overwrite the system effectively. Yeah, that's it. That's a great point. I, I fully believe that not only do your thoughts affect your physical health, but definitely, you know, you're, you're right. Your body can't really distinguish whether or not an event is happening right now, or you can even as human beings, we can recall events and induce that same emotional and physical response as if it was just happening. I think it's it's so fascinating. And to kind of go in and and change um, the emotional response, I could see how that would be so beneficial in the long run. So financial, then, oh God. Oh, oh, I was just gonna say, it's sort of a way to, to understand this, which is works for most people, is um, a lot of people were bullied in school. Most of us don't get through school without any issues with anybody. Um, if you think back to the child who bullied you, a lot of people will have a physical response to that. So what did it feel like when James said X or when you were attacked or whatever that bullying was to you as an individual and you feel a physical sensation for it? Uh, we know right now, you know, there is no threat right now as an adult. You know, this is just your imagination. But even the thought of that child will bring up those memories from the past and all we're doing is going back to those memories and instead of from the framework that the child viewed it as this is life and death. So this is a terrifying thing that's happening to me. I'm unsafe. Going back and seeing it from the adult point of view of this is a seven-year-old being mean to another seven-year-old. So both can be true, but currently we're holding on to the belief of the child who was seeing it as a life and death moment. Absolutely. Does the practice go into other areas of their life? So you do a session, but do you have any personal mindset, um, kind of like morning routines or any like practical tips that people can use at home to start working on their mindset or maybe start to uncover what could be holding them back? Yeah. So, I mean, with my sessions, um, they usually split sort of half between hypnotherapy and half between traditional life coaching. So we'll be putting together morning routines and such, you know, personally, um, I use the sauna in the mornings. Um, I meditate, I do breath work. Um, obviously I'm, I'm utilizing hypnotherapy myself as well. We, we have an app that we, that I listen to. Um, so, so there is that, that side of things, um, that, that we're organizing. Um, and so, sorry, the first part, the other part of the question, Kayla, uh, you were asking about the routines and there was another part and I've just gone blank to it. Yeah, sure. Are there any at-home practices? So is there something oh, yeah. that yeah, people can do maybe that are listening or some of your clients, things that they're doing at home to help enhance or kind of start their journey? Yeah, so um, so there's effectively a, a few different things you can do. One is all of the self-care things I was starting to describe there. So as I say, you know, I'm utilizing saunas, breath work, meditation, hypnotherapy. I've got an app called Prime Mind. You can download and try it for free where you can get an idea of what hypnotherapy feels like. Um, and then if you want to start digging into things a little bit deeper, um, take some time and an exercise I like to recommend people do gives you an idea of the sort of work that I'm doing without the hypnotherapy. And so sit down, give yourself around half an hour, 
and get yourself very relaxed and start thinking about the thing that you believe, the area you believe you're holding yourself back. So let's say you're in sales and you can't make the sales call or you're running a company and you're struggling with reaching out to investors and think about what the physical sensation is when you, um, when you have that emotion, when you try and make that happen. So are you feeling sick in your stomach? Are you feeling a pressure in your chest? Are you feeling a heat in your face? And try and make that very vivid in your mind. So we're making that sensation very vivid. So I'm trying to make the sales call. When I try and pick up that phone, I'm feeling this resistance. That is a tension in my chest. And then start bringing up other memories in your life where you felt that same way and try and get to three or four of them, different periods of your life where, so it might be asking that person out. Um, it might be the first time you went to a job interview. It might be in school when you had to give a talk and try and go back and back and back with those memories until you reach childhood memories of feeling that way. And then the sorts of things that will come up are, I said the wrong thing in the class and the teacher laughed at me and said I was stupid. Like you're going to, you're going to notice these types of things show up or the childhood bullying, or I believed my parents loved my sister more than me, um, et cetera. So try and get back to the, the childhood memory, core memory that you're feeling this way, and then look at changing the logic of that memory, the way it's being viewed. So teachers screaming at me, calling me stupid, that's probably being framed by the child as I'm not good enough. Instead, look at, okay, the framing of this is my teacher was really having a bad day and she wasn't doing her job effectively. It's a shame that she wasn't very good at teaching that day. So reframing it is not the child's fault, but a, an understanding that adults have bad days too. When your parents lash out, a lot of the time parents are just doing the best they can and they're struggling with stress, they're struggling with circumstances. And it's very easy to say, you know, hey, you know, my parents didn't love me. In most cases, your parents loved you. They just weren't the best parents they could be when we view them from how we view how parenting should be now, 30, 40 years later, 50 years later, et cetera. So have a look at reframing the things that happened. The child who was bullying you probably was getting bullied themselves. Um, and when you thought it was life and death, the reality is it wasn't life and death and you got through it and you're safe and life has moved forward. So it's just a case of starting to get this understanding of the things that you're feeling today, the things that are holding you back today, the triggers for those difficulties were set in that younger childhood. And all you've been doing is replaying a safety program. So X is dangerous. I'm not going to do it. And you've been doing running that same program to keep you safe for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And what we're looking to do is understand where that program came from, why at some point it was logical for the child to create the program. So public speaking is dangerous because I had to read in class. I made a mistake and everyone laughed at me. So public speaking is dangerous. I don't want to do it. I don't want to feel attacked in that way. That might have been useful at the age of six. However, at the age of 36, it's not a very useful program. And once you get an understanding that your fears aren't you, you're not an anxious person, you're not an angry person, you're just someone who's learned to be anxious in a certain situation because at some point it was useful, or you've learned to be angry at 
in a certain situation because at some point it was useful. You can start to step outside of it and that allows the space for us to create the change to make life easier. That's wonderful. I talk about that a lot. Um, the second that you identify as you say, as an angry person or as a sad person or as a person who's unhealthy, you begin to certainly and fully embody those behaviors and it's very difficult to get past them. So I can certainly see why something like what you're doing is going to be so helpful. So how many sessions do you usually see someone do? Um, so typically I'm working with clients for 10 sessions over around six months. That's the normal cadence. And, and, and then we're obviously in contact in between, but the actual sessions is 10 sessions over six months. For some clients, when they're doing very specific activities, I work with them more frequently. So um, I was talking about the poker. I have some players who they play in multi-million dollar poker games weekly, and they do a session with me once a week prior to them playing their large game or stockbrokers who they every, every Monday they want to talk to me um, before they're going to be making their trades for the week, that sort of thing. But typically clients are reaching out to me. We're doing 10 sessions over six months. Well, I definitely, as I mentioned before the call, want to come in and well, you do online sessions. So do an online session or something, because I think this is so useful. And I'm really excited because I think um, that this is going to get a lot more popularity, you know, become more well known. You've obviously found an incredible niche and are um, doing amazing things in your industry. But I, I'm excited for the day where this becomes like a norm. You know, um, I think like breath work and meditation are so normal now. And hopefully, you know, hypnotherapy and just just so people can get out of their own way and then have the life that they deserve in every way. Yeah, I, th I think we're moving in the right direction with it. It's um, people become more open. And then obviously the, the more success stories that are seen um, that changes the way it's viewed as well. And I've just been very fortunate that there have been some really good stories over the last few years. Absolutely. Um, well, is there anything else that you think people should know about your work? Um, well, I mean, if you've been listening to this and it's something that, that is interesting to you, um, I have a whole team of coaches that I've trained. Um, so that sort of there is a price point for everyone uh, that you can do this. You can do it from anywhere in the world because, I mean, as we were talking about before the call, it, I do do it on Zoom because if you come to an office, you're going to have your eyes closed and you're going to be listening to me. It's no different doing it from anywhere in the anywhere in the world with headphones on. Um, so anywhere that you are, we have we have a team of coaches. Uh, we can find someone who's the right fit for you if if this is something that's interesting. And that's just on ElliotRow.com, and there's an application form to fill out. And then if it's interesting, we have Primed Mind an app on iPhone and Android, and you can download that for free and you can try the different audios and get a sense of what hypnotherapy feels like. Incredible. Well, I'll definitely include all of that in the show notes as well so people can have those resources, but it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. Hacking was created and is hosted by Kayla Barnes. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Kayla Barnes, does not accept responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of the information contained herein. Opinions of their guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. 
Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical issue, consult a licensed physician.